Welcome to The Definitive Rap, where we report the truth about American exceptionalism. We love our flag, we love our country, and we believe in America. The Definitive Rap, where we respect people of faith, the men and women in blue, and our support for Israel. And now, your host, Bela Sebraff on The Definitive Rap. Hello, welcome to The Definitive Rap, and I am Bela Sebraff. We thank Venus for hosting our show. Today, we have a very special program for you, the politics about hush-ups. And at The Definitive Rap, we seek truth, and we expose the truth and corruption. We respect justice and the decent people who make the world a better place because these are the people who protect and defend what is right and just. It used to be back in the day that when a child would complain about an adult being inappropriate, the viewpoint was not to believe the child and that children live in their own make-believe world. How horrifying that must have been for children who were victimized. Not only that, but the old-fashioned mentality was that the Rebbe or teacher is always right. It had gotten to the point where children knew they might as well keep quiet about inappropriateness that was perpetrated against them because no one's going to believe them anyway, or they might just get punished for even saying something. So they went through life bearing the pain of their abuse. I have spoken to middle-aged adults who have shared with me that in specific schools and yeshivas, there were students who knew who the perpetrating educator was, and they knew to watch out for that person. Fast forward several years later, when the Frum Society became more savvy and actually uttered the words sexual abuse if their child was victimized. And they would scream and try to bring the perpetrator to justice. But if we follow renowned stories, we know that things did not go well for those families. And not only was, was justice never served, but the family was ostracized for daring to accuse a so-called respectable person of abusing their child. Well, we have come a long way since then because an educator of children said enough is enough and risking his own self and family, he started going after perpetrators and calling them out. I am talking about Rabbi Horowitz. Rabbi Yaakov Horowitz is the founding dean of Yeshiva Darche Noam of Mansi and director of Bright Beginnings. He's an innovative educator, author, and child safety advocate. Rabbi Horowitz is the author of two books. He published child safety books that are, that are in over 120,000 homes in three languages, as well as the groundbreaking Bright Beginnings, Gemara, and Chumash workbooks that are in over 100 schools. Rabbi Horowitz conducts child wor wor workshop abuse prevention programs and parenting workshops in Jewish communities around the world, and he received the prestigious 2008 Covenant Award in recognition of his contribution to Jewish education. Rabbi Horowitz, with the greatest honor and respect, I welcome you to the Definitive Rap. It's a pleasure to be on your show, and um, I hope everybody finds it educational and helpful. Rabbi Horowitz, you are a trailblazer in education and child abuse prevention, and you not only set out to understand the issue of child abuse, but you're finding ways to keep kids safe. Please share with our audience what compelled you to rock the boat, so to speak, in the educational system. Well, I, I started out my, my career in education um, 40 years ago, starting with teaching in eighth grade 
which I did for 15 years. Um, most of the years I volunteered for the children who hadn't been yet successful yet in learning, like I was as a kid that age. And um, because of that, I, ju I just wound up dealing not only with the, you know, with the X's and O's of the, the learning of the children, um, which eventually wound up becoming those Chumash and Gemara books, because I felt that the children, many of the kids just didn't have the, the skills that they needed to learn how to learn, rather than just being taught by rote. Um, but I, also with the social emotional piece. So I wound up spending a lot of time <clears throat> helping families, helping parents help their children outside of my classroom um, in the broader Jewish community. And one thing led to another. I wrote a book in 19, uh, an article, excuse me, in 1996 in the Jewish Observer called uh, a, a Pound of Cure, which was an ounce of prevention and, and later a pound of cure. It was about, I basically said, look, we're losing a percentage of our, ch of our children to religion and to emotional happiness. It doesn't have to be this way. Here are some of the things we could do. And <laughs> the roof came off as soon as the article was yeah. published. Um, we got hundreds and hundreds of calls to our home every month. Uh, the Agura uh, the ran, um, you know, the, the Jewish Observer was, was flooded. And uh, together with the late the Rabbi Moshe Sherez, that's all, he was very brave and bold and started a program for Teens at Risk. It was the first program of its type called Project Yes. And I, I, I was honored. He asked me to lead it and we, we started it together. He, unfortunately, he passed away just a few months afterwards. Um, and we did that. You know, I've been running that, that type of work for, for 25 years now. But like about 2002, three, four, it started dawning on me that a very large percentage of the children we were working with um, had been sexually abused. And it just came to me, uh, I can go through the details, but it's not that important. I just realized that that was the case. And I just started looking into it. And once I saw that it was so, I, I started writing about it. And when I, you look back at those articles, I was writing them primarily about this in the Jewish press. And I could, I could almost hear the panic in my voice, you know, during those first couple of years, like folks, look what's going on. Right. And most people just thought I lost my mind. Right. I, I would expect that uh, the reaction wasn't positive at first. Yeah. And by the way, it's not, it's not the Jewish community. It's like that Still not. anywhere. How many people really believe that Bill Cosby did what he did? You know, you grew up with him, you watched the show for 20 years, you just can't believe that people can do something like this. I know this guy, you know, it's called the halo effect. There's, there's a lot of literature and research to support why that happens. There's a theory of the just world. We don't want to believe that, that we live in a world like this. We don't want to live in a world where people can abuse children and, and not get hit by lightning, you know? So I, I, in fact, I just did two talks in the five towns um, last week in, in the five towns in, in Far Rockaway on two successive nights. And I was talking about those barriers to, to, to understanding what's going on. And, and it's important to understand that when this happens to us, when we feel that can't be um, and, and that, that disconnect and the disbelief, that we understand that that is part of the process. It's part of the process of, uh, of, of getting getting used to this information. And, and unfortunately, similar is, of course, not the same thing, but just like we go through the five grieving stages, God forbid, when, when, when someone dies, you know, with denial, anger, bargaining, 
you, you can hear that same, the Kubler-Ross model of those five stages of grief. You can almost hear people going through that cycle when they say, oh, it can't be, you know, and then, then they get angry and they say, how could it happen? And, and so, you know, we need to get to the, to the acceptance. And, and thankfully, you know, at the beginning, it was very difficult. People, people really didn't believe it. But as time went on and, and we became <clears throat> more sophisticated about understanding it and uh, dealing with it, Eventually, um, I, I started to think about how to stop it. So how, how can you prevent this from happening? And, and clearly education was by far and away the number one, um, the number one tool that can be used to, to help parents help their children to understand what's going on. And, you know, I went to art school, Rabbi Meir's Ladowitz, God bless him, he should be benched and Ganeiden. It's amazing um, that they were um, supportive. He took that book 13 years ago. And, you know, he, I, I'll never forget it when I walked in. Uh, his son, Gedalia uh, Zalangiyarn, who runs Art Scroll today, um, I was his junior counselor in Camp Monk a lifetime ago. And, you know, we go back a long time. Um, and so I know Rabbi Zlatowicz. I went in to pitch the idea to him. And, uh, I say I always say it was one of the nicest rejections I ever got in my life. <laughs> he said, he said, Rev Yankee, this is such a beautiful idea. I love it. And he opened up his drawer, took out a checkbook, and he said, I want to be your first donor. Oh wow. So I went like this to him. <laughs> I, pulled, I could imagine. I pulled my yes. gla- I'm sorry. What? I I mean I could imagine. I mean, your reaction must have been like, Are you hearing? I things? went like this. I looked at him, I said, Rame, you know I didn't come to you for a check, right? So he says, Yankee, I can't do this. You know, they, we, we do Svarim, you know. So I, I think there was a, a fundamental misunderstanding. How, how should he know? I told him it's not sex education. It's, it's about space. It's about, it's the, I said, it's the, it's the ultimate sneers. It's the ultimate book of modesty. It's teaching children about their personal space and that they have a right to protect it. And no one's, what, what is more modest than that? I said, look, Ramea, I said, I'm going to make the book. And then I'll come back to you. Wow. Yep. That's what I told myself. I'm sorry. I said, it's amazing. It's amazing. I said, it'll probably take me a year or two. Um, but once we start doing it, I'll, you'll see, I, I'm not even going to bother explaining because I, I don't expect you to understand it. I did, I did research on this for two years, you know, asking experts, Jewish in the secular world, like, how can you possibly stop a, a large adult from taking advantage of this little defenseless child how what do you what can you possibly do to stop this and it turns out that education is extraordinarily effective the research shows that it's so effective um i'll be glad to explain why that why it's effective you know for parents because i think it's an important um it's an important piece that parents should understand why it works so if you're interested i'll be glad to explain why why that's so uh but but by by and large we did the book and and thank god it's in about 80,000 homes already. And then we did a Yiddish version. Believe it or not, I worked with the community in, in Kiryasiyal in Monroe, the Satma community there. We did a Yiddish translation together with them every step of the way. I told them, it's not about me. I want to make changes so that it'll be culturally congruent for your community. We worked together for a year and um, they took 7,000 books. They have one, every family got one. You know, so, um, and then we did it in Hebrew for two versions, uh, for the Haredi community and for the Mennon Orthodox, the Datilomi community. 
Right, right. Rabbi Horowitz, it's very scary for parents. They send their children to school or camp, and rightfully so, they expect that their child will be kept safe in, in all aspects. In your professional experience, is there a particular profile of a victim that makes a perpetrator deliberately target him or her? I'm asking because in various situations, it can be just one victim. One victim in a classroom while everyone else has no problem with the perpetrator and saying, oh, him? No, I never had a problem. This, this, this person who's claiming whatever they're claiming is lying. They say he's a wonderful right. person and there's no way he would ever do such a thing. Right. So, so, so the same with sex crimes perpetrated against adults. What is the perpetrator looking for when he or she targets a victim? Is it a certain vulnerability that they detect and they feed on? How does this, how could this be prevented? How does somebody prevent from becoming a victim? What right. type so, of profile so do they have? That, that's really, that's really the most fascinating part of why it works. Right. But I, I just want to point out, you know, while the, the Walder situation or, you know, a Weberman situation where, where, where the people are, allowed, you know, supposed to be protecting children in the education field, they get the most headlines and they are the, unfortunately uh, serial pedophiles who abuse God knows how many children during their the lifetime. Um, it's much, much more common to be uh, less high profile. In other words, people in the family, people in that, in, in those two consent, the first two of the concentric circles around the children, you know, that that's the irony is that we, we we're concerned about stranger danger as we should be. And we're concerned about, educators or people in public life and 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 that's all very important but it's not the, the majority of the cases are are within a family or friends of the you know friends of the family people on the block kids you know uh, um, adults that children know well um, that's just important to point out you know because the headlines if it's god forbid um, a family member you know the research shows that they're least likely to be reported, which is understandable. You know, people are, right. are don't want to destroy their homes. And, 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 you know, there's a lot of, for a lot of reasons, right. um, but, but it's really universal. We shouldn't think that, that it's only a summer camp and it's only a school and it's only a shul or anything like that. It's really, it's, it's universal. And the reason that it works is because, and again, nothing's perfect. And it's really important to point out, Bela, that this is a piece of a larger uh, uh, child safety uh, uh, concept where, where supervision and, you know, it, it, the, the level of supervision needs to be different than it was before. Kids going to a sleepover, you know, um, you have guests at home, you know, there are so many different parts of the thing that, yeah. you know, my generation, I'm 62 years old, my generation, we didn't, you know, my wife happened to have been pretty keyed into this when we, our kids were young, but you know, people didn't think like that then. So, so it is, it is to a great degree generational, um, but we have to think differently about every single aspect about it. But the way it works is that the abusers are, are evil and, and just horrible creatures, but they're not foolish or they would have been caught right away. So most of them are in a very evil way, brilliant at, figuring out who they can abuse and get away with, which is what you were alluding to, right, Bela? That's what you're suggesting. What's the profile of the children? Yeah. So is that what, that's what you're suggesting. Is that correct? Yes. Yes. Yeah. So, yes. so what they do is, what the abusers do is 
they go through a process called grooming where they try to figure out, um, there's really two, two uh, um, goals of that. First of all, is they try to figure out which children they can get away with abusing. And the, the research shows that the two, the two uh, items, the two things that they're looking for or concerned about is number one, knowledge, education, and number two, um, connectivity to family. So, you know, I, I, I give an example of, let's say, someone doing a financial scam. Okay, if somebody's selling phony lots in a new development that doesn't exist. So, who are their marks? Who, um, you know, a young couple right after they're married, let's say, that has, that has money, but might not have financial, you know, wherewithal, not wherewithal, knowledge of, of uh, what, what a scam looks like and what to look for. And, so, and, and they look for, for isolation. So an elderly widow, a widower, or a, a young couple, they, they look for people who are not knowledgeable and people who are isolated. <clears throat> and what they do is, they, if they had that contract, right? If I'm trying to scam you, Bela, and I don't know who you are, I don't know your family, I don't know your background. So I have a contract that I'm asking you, if you give a $20,000 $20, deposit, you get 50% off the price. That's the gig, right? I don't know who you are. I don't know your family. I don't know anything about you. So that contract, in all likelihood, if I tell you, if you respond to an ad and I say, hey, let's go out for coffee, let's talk about it. That contract could get me 20 years in jail if, in federal prison if, it, if you turn it to, over to the wrong person. So in all likelihood, I'm not going to bring that to our first meeting. I'll sit down and talk to tell me a little bit about it. You know, Baylor, we have a beautiful mortgage system. Um, do, you, do I need to explain it to you or are you knowledgeable? And if you say, oh, my family's in the mortgage business, or, you know, I was in real estate, I was a real estate broker for a while. You know what's going to happen, Bela. We'll finish the meeting and I'll say, you know, I'll meet you next week and I'll never, I'll never talk to you again because you're not someone that I want to start up with because you know stuff. And even if you are, God forbid, socially isolated, I'm sorry, even if, you, if you're not knowledgeable, I need to know who you know. Because if a spouse or a parent or a sibling or a friend of yours is in law enforcement or mortgages or real estate, you'll discuss it with them. So I go through this process that sometimes takes a long time to find out who are my best marks. Again, if someone is extremely reckless, they'll come and try to get that check from you the first time. But they get caught right away. The evil ones, the Walders of the world, don't do that. They're cunning and they go through this process. So here's the point. Here's the great news. So parents feel empowered. If you train your children to be knowledgeable right. about their right to personal space, about the fact that no one's allowed to make them feel uncomfortable, no one's supposed to touch them in a private spot. So, and you talk to them regularly, they find out that those children are not in the category of kids they want to mess with. Um, my number one recommendation to parents, by the way, there's a phenomenal article by uh, Malcolm Gladwell, the guy who wrote Blink and Tipping Point, and it's called An In Plain View. It was New Yorker magazine. It's a 5,500-word essay. He does a masterful job of explaining grooming and going through examples and of, of how they do it. And, you know, the, I read many books on the subject, um, including a doctor who went around for 20 years. She went to prisons. Um, interviewing serial pedophiles and asking them how they got away with it. But that kept jumping out, naivete and and lack of connection to parents. Rabbi Horowitz, the old adage of no good deed goes unpunished certainly apply, has applied to you too. 
you've had your share of battles and antagonists because you went after perpetrators. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Well, you know, look, I, I, I had, you know, some of the advocacy I took was, was unpopular in certain circles. Um, the first case I really got involved with was the Nehemi Weberman case, which was, I got a, an enormous amount of pushback and death threats and all kinds of stuff. But I, I, I obviously I reported them to the police. You know, I got, did what I had to do to protect myself and my family, but you just got to do, you know, ultimately you have to, I feel you got to do what's right. And, and, and um, I wasn't going to stand down because of any threats. And, you know, I was sued a few, about seven years ago, I was sued by a sex offender in Israel named Yona Weinberg. He, he sued me for slander, for, uh, for um, defaming his great reputation. Um, he's a registered sex offender in New York. So whatever that went to trial, thank God we won that just recently. It was a five-year ordeal. But again, you can't back down. You have to do what you th- have to. I, I believe that it's my job, my, my moral responsibility to do what's right. Um, mostly in terms of educating children, but when people push back against uh, uh, spreading information about pedophiles, um, we can't stand down. We have to just do what we think is right. But you know, it, to me, it's all about education. Really, right, it's it's right, any right, every right. every knowledge every, is power. Knowledge is power. Now it's just that simple. And you know, when parents, um, it's interesting. There's research that shows that if parents are anxious when they speak to children about this the children can't absorb information. We can't absorb when we're in fight or flight, when, when we're nervous, we, we, we don't remember things people tell us. So I never walk into classes and tell scary stories. I, I just, I do the cardigan sweater. I don't, I don't, right, I don't walk right. in with, with my, with my uh, long jacket and then, you know, my hat on. I just walk in and say, look, folks, I'm going to teach you how to do this. It's right. really straightforward and I'm going to empower you to be able to do this to your children. So we made this book, the child safety book. We designed it in a way where there are no scary images. Quite to the contrary, it's meant for, for, for parents to sit down on the couch and have a, an enjoyable conversation. We purposely lined up the book. So there's, um, you know, general rules about crossing the street, you know, being safe and other things. Then we did some stranger danger. And then we in the middle, middle pages are about uh, abuse prevention, but also in a way that's, that's not intimidating at all. And thank God, we, as soon as the book came out, we were already getting calls from parents and emails thanking us for saving the children's lives. And, and there was a school, my project now, what I'm doing now, and I am not going to rest till, till it gets done. We're looking to get a child safety book in every home, in every Jewish home. And um, we're offering the book to, I'm partnering with ArtScroll um, and we're giving, we're giving the book, we're selling it for $5 a book, free shipping for orders of over a hundred books. And we're trying to get uh, parents, communities, philanthropists, just folks to, to be proactive and um, get books into the hands of parents, give them out at, at, at a bris or a party you know, instead of party favors, you know, to give out, right. give up books at a upsharing or something like that. And, and we got many, many, many communities who've already, people stepped forward and bought 500, 700 books, 100 books, 200 to get them in the hands of, of, of parents. Um, so, you know, that's, that's, that's really, um, that's where the action is. That's where, right. where, where right. we, we, would you say that, uh, sexual abuse of children and teens contributes to the at-risk behavior where they go off the derrick? 
Oh, absolutely, for sure, for sure. I mean, I, I wrote 18 years ago, I wrote that, you know, of the top 10 factors, the first four is child abuse. You know, one, two, three, and four are child abuse. It's like an atom bomb compared to anything else. In fact, one thing that's interesting, I mean, I, I know you mentioned this a few times, the notion, I, I separate, when I was talking about teens at risk back then, right. I separated it into two buckets. There's, I call it, people who abandon religion, but religion only meaning they have a great secular life, they're in college, they're happy, they have a boyfriend, they're a girl, have a social life. Unfortunately, God's not part of that life now. So I call that Ozumetadat, they only abandon religion. And there are so many reasons for that. Uh, um, you know, kids aren't were turned off, they weren't turned on, they see inconsistencies, or they just want to do their own thing. Um, the second group, I call it Ozumetachayim, they're abandoning life. They, they are also abandoning religion. It sounds the same. My kid's not keeping Shabbat or putting on tefillin or anything. But ozvimeta etachayim means that they're, they're not in school. They're not happy. They're cutting. They're, they're suicide attempts. They're, they're depressed. They don't want to get out of bed. Like their life is on hold. Right. And I wrote back then, 18 years ago, that I said that over 90% of that is trauma-based, that is abuse-based. Because they, they, you know, if study Maslow's hierarchy of needs, they can't get past. If they don't feel safe, how can they move forward? Right. Just what you were describing before. And that's why education is so important because right. we can prevent this. So as we said, not, with knowledge comes power. But so why don't the schools and yeshivas and all hashkafic circles educate children on prevention of sexual abuse? And Moreover, why don't they have a system in place that a child, a student, can safely go and talk to an authority in the school of yeshiva? So they do. I mean, most schools, the vast they majority of schools have, Debbie Fox has, a, our book is only for parents. I purposely did it that way because we were starting out and it's just more complicated. It was just simple. I just have to convince one person to buy the book, you know, one parent at a time. But, but Debbie Fox has a fantastic program for, that's a school-based program. Uh, Shani Verscheisler has a great, great programs. In fact, the Chesidish community in Borough Park translated into Yiddish, you know, one of the programs. Most, the vast majority of schools do have child safety. There are, there are, there are some who don't, and it's very unfortunate. But uh, we're trying to get, you know, more and more involved. So it, it, certainly over the past, you know, uh, three, five, seven years, it, it's been, there's been a total change. And, and summer camps, I tell parents, parents say, should I send my kids to summer camp? So I say, just call the head counselor or the director and say, what's your child safety program like? Uh, what did you, did you train your staff? That's what I tell parents. Uh, last week, a few parents asked me about that. Should we send the kids to camp? I say, you can't keep them under the, on, on, you can't keep them under the bed. Right. You have to, you have to live right. life. But make sure that there's training there. And you say, look, I'm going to talk to my son before he goes to camp. What are you going to say during orientation? I said, if the, yeah. if the camp director says, oh, thank God we don't have those problems. I said, leave the deposit and get out. <laughs> Just said to run away. Yeah. But, but it's not, they, they really are. The, right. the camps that I know of, all of them have, certainly in the English speaking world, they, they all have, to the best of my knowledge, you know, mm-hmm. child safety education programs that are very effective. One last question. Um, we have a holiday of Purim coming up where drinking is encouraged as part of the Simcha and celebration of Purim. 
I know that you're very outspoken about teens who drink heavily and the dangers of alcohol poisoning and worse, deaths that result from intoxication. What can parents and people of authority do to prevent the catastrophe, God forbid? Talk to your kids as best you can. Um, by the way, my, my, I have an Instagram page. It's, it's, it's um, my personal page is at Yaakov Horowitz. And I'm doing most of my work there. Um, there's also a YouTube page with hundreds of my talks on Purim and other issues. It's also at Yaakov Horowitz. And we just started, Bail. I'm really excited. We, in June, we started daily parenting clips for uh, 59 seconds, under a minute for today's parents, <laughs> for their attention span. And the way they work, I opened an Instagram account. It's at Bright Beginnings Forum. You can get all the clips there. And it, it's all about, it's an education about everything. So, so I, think, I think parents should speak to their children. It is difficult if the other kids are, are drinking. Um, and, and I just interviewed on Instagram, I just interviewed um, Rabbi Heshi Billet from Israel. His shul went alcohol-free uh, in 2004. And I, I spoke to him about his journey, how it went, and, and you know, what, what I, I think everybody should, should be doing this. And I, you know, I post, I, I keep posting on Instagram and social media and my YouTube pages, uh, education that parents need to know. So I, I, I'm very, very, I'm extraordinarily upset that we're still, in, that in 2022, with all that we know, that people should offer a drink to someone is, is yeah, to, whatever. It, it's just very upsetting. Yeah. Um, tell us how, and tell our audience especially, uh, how people can get a hold of your book called The Safety Book for Every Home. How can people yeah, so, buy it? Where can they find so it? So they can pick it up. They can pick it up. It's on our Amazon page. Um, they can go to Art Scroll. Just do a Google search for Let's Stay Safe Children's Book. Um, they, can, they can email um, S- S- Stuart, S-T-U, Stuart at StuartSchnee.com. He's our um, publications director. And if you don't mind, you know, I- I'll send you a copy of our flyer. You can post it perhaps. People can sure. see to buy bulk orders. Um, it, it, it's so it's so important it's so important because yeah. we know that this uh, um that this is what saves lives it, they can go to childsafetybook.com um child sa- excuse me, childsafetybook.org we have is is the they can see the the free f- uh five dollars a book folks it's 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 so helpful it's so important please yeah. educate yourselves educate your friends that's that's the best solution by far Thank you, Rabbi Horowitz. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for all you're doing for society. You're saving countless lives. May you be blessed with good health to continue your Avodah HaKodesh. Thank you very thank much. You. Thank you, Bela. Thank you for having me. And thank you to the news and to our audience for tuning in. Thanks for listening to The Definitive Rap with your host, Bela Sebrow. Be sure to tell your family and friends they also can catch the definitive rap on Apple Music, Spotify, Google Play, and your favorite streaming service. See you next time on The Definitive Rap.